0: Hello creeps, I'll be your ghost, I mean host, as we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. And now we are officially recording. So then how, how do we feel about Lady dramescu esque uh, Tanuki stepping on us? I feel like this is a,
1: this is a good theme for the day. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just hoping this doesn't awaken anything in any of us, <laughs> but, I,
2: uh, becoming Tanuki,
1: <laughs> you know, out
0: of all the movies we've covered, I think this would be the most awkward one to have a fetish awaken through.
2: Oh, Jesus Christ. Unless it's
0: I, a, is a fetish for Leninism acceptable here.
2: Uh, well, first off, there's there's a place that we could look to see if that's happened, because this movie was the number one film in 1994 in Japan. Uh, so if uh, such fetishes have since emerged, uh, I think it's it's we, we can go look. Uh, I, I just I'm not very good at reading Japanese, uh, which means not at all.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess Japanese listeners, let us know. Um, also, know uh, are there any Leninist cat boys? That could be a clue that we can find.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like maybe like a, a couple Leninist Tanuki boys out there. They do the sort of Mario Leninist uh, cosplay <laughs> mashup um, from that one particular Mario Bros where you can get the raccoon uh, outfit. So uh, now I know, know why he
0: turns into a statue with a cane. Now that all makes sense to me.
2: Gosh, there's so much uh, deep, deep Japanese cultural reference in this film. Uh, I'm shocked that it didn't become a cult classic in the United States. Yeah, it's
0: absolutely bizarre to me that I I would have never heard of this movie if you hadn't uh, asked us to do it here on the show, which is Horror Vanguard. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, listeners, where we discuss horror movies and sometimes uh, raccoon dog testicles. I am uh, Ash. One of your co-ghosts, joined as always by... Hey everybody, it's John. And today we have a special guest, and that special guest is...
2: Hey, Steven Monticelli here. I am an independent journalist and I am uh, the publisher of Protean Mag.
0: Hell yeah. And where where can our listeners find you on, on the wide internet? Wide internet, is that? Worldwide internet, they're the words. You
2: can- You can find me on Twitter. Um, You can search my name or my handle, which is Steve Anzetti. And uh, you can also find Protean Mag on Twitter or on any of the social media uh, as well as our website, ProteanMag.com. The last time I was on this show, we discussed uh, an also very strange film. But uh, that film, um, you know, for better and for worse, did not feature um, inflating raccoon testicle sacks.
1: (laughs) Which are then used to attack the police.
2: Yes, to be uh,
1: very clear. To be, to be very clear.
0: <laughs> I mean, they, they have so many uses. You know, the, the tanuki can turn their testicles into a treasure boat, mm-hmm. into goblins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really, really, the sky's the limit for these guys.
2: There's a really um, lovely magical moment in this film where one of the elder tanukis, which are, if you are not up to speed on a, on that, uh, raccoon dogs basically. they They look like raccoons but they don't have strange hands they have little normal paws <laughs> and so um yeah this one of the sort of elder raccoons is teaching the others to shape shift which is something that is a part of japanese folklore and uh he's like hey you know you notice this carpet that you're all sitting on it's my nutsack
1: <laughs> <laughs> now okay 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 so for for people who've listened to the show for a while, um. We 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 try and tackle a whole range of film on horror vanguard. We have tackled some film which is you know straightforward and bad, like Darren Ar- Darren Aronofsky's Mother, um, and we we have tackled some films which is very straightforward and good, like Die You Zombie Bastards. But I am I'm 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 more excited than I've been in a while to 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 set up this segment because Ash, my friend, my my co-host. <laughs> Would you mind? Would you mind? Just in in, in the most straightforward way that you can. Pompoko. What what is it about?
0: I'm going to do my best. There's so much to be said about Tanuki that use a mythical ability to wield their testicles as shape-shifting weapons, tools, and games. Pompoko is at once a spiritual sister to Ferngully and a crushing exploration of lives lived in a moment of unrelenting corporate extraction. These raccoon dogs are here to tell us a story of memory, and the collective strength it takes to live through tragedy. What's the first memory you have of land? It might be too hard to say what counts as first when it comes to the fog of memory, but I've always been drawn to reflect on an early scene from my childhood. I was digging in the dirt behind the trailer I grew up in, After some small effort, I hit a plastic weed barrier, so common to many housing developments here in the States. Even then, it was strange that I should find a limitless plastic sheet within the earth. Now that I'm older, I have no greater ability to articulate the reason for that sheet's existence. The obvious falsehoods of corporate propaganda and even a Marxist materialism fail to capture the true perversity of a plastic wrapping the earth. Despite the clear encounter with the unpleasant and weird nature of expansionist capitalism, I kept digging. Takahashi's Pompoko connects us into a clearly and ceaseless flowing youthfulness of time. Even as the Tanuki watch their entire world get consumed by the plasticine existence of capitalism, they continue to keep moving. They keep moving through rage, through resignation, and through joy. No matter how weird, no matter how painful, or how wondrous the events of their lives become, they keep moving. We watch them try, fail, and succeed as they attempt to resist the deforestation of their homes. We watch as the media manufactures the consent needed to destroy those homes. We continue to watch as they are driven from thriving to barely surviving. We watch as children, in their innocence, ponder why they cannot connect with the Tanuki near their homes. We watch as Ponkichi gives his final plea for us, the viewer, to please consider the tanuki, only to have the camera lift away and float up as we reveal that he makes his final impassioned stand in a golf course. The purpose of art, animated or otherwise, exists as Tarkovsky says, not, as it is often assumed, to put across ideas, to propagate truths, and to serve as an example. The aim of art is to prepare a person for death to plow and harrow his soul, to render it capable of turning to good. Like the hills of Tama, our souls have been plowed and harrowed. Death reveals itself never as the end, but as a change, and all the weight of the enormity that that entails. Ultimately, the Tanuki die as they live, in one grand act of transformation. Change with us as we discuss Isahao Takahata's Pompoko.
1: Uh, there's a lot going on here, everybody. <laughs> there is. Oh that, hell yeah! <laughs> perhaps the most going on. But before we get into the the, the frankly um, it, just jaw dropping discourse, let us let us journey as we must through the formalism zone. Uh, this, of course, the, the 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 section of the show where we talk about the formal elements of the film. Uh, give some sort of loose first impressions, talk about the stuff that we we enjoyed, the things that maybe don't fit into the, into the miasma of discourse that approaches. Um, but what did you both think?
2: Well, um, I think Ash nailed it in saying that this is uh, <laughs> a spiritual sort of cousin to Fern Gully, but it is one in which, uh, not only the culture of the country in which it uh, was created is deeply intertwined with the storytelling and the animation style, but also that it it explores uh, really, really incredibly uh, intense, radical, and um, certainly not-for-children themes and topics, um, straight-up eco-terrorism. And uh, lots of discussion of testicles. So there's there's um, in terms of the plot, uh, there's a lot. It's a long film, and it 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 is something that it it left me with a deep deep impression in terms of um, one the possibilities of animation to uh, tell stories of sort of not only our present time which this is very much it was at the time a contemporary story but also kind of crack open possibility of uh sort of utopian possibilities and other worlds that are better and um you know not this just dystopian uh end run that sometimes it feels like we can be on um and you know in some ways this is also you know we're going to stretch the the sense of the word here, but this is a horror film. Um, there is a whole scene about haunting an entire city and trying to uh, make them existentially terrified of the supernaturally powered raccoons. Um, but you know, I I don't want to get us too, too deep. What about you, Ash? Oh, totally.
0: Uh, there's a lot of interesting elements of body horror that come into play in PompoCo in very interesting ways like this is this is like a kid's equivalent of body horror, the way that the tanukis not only wield testicles so specifically I, I found to be striking in like an abject and horror sense like it's very it's very gothic in a weird way uh, uh because like culturally speaking, especially here in the United States, like vague, vague references to like your balls or whatever like are are acceptable, but like a serious discussion of like the testicle is a part of the body, right? The scrotum in general. That's weird, <laughs> you know? And so the way that this movie, like, is, is this is the least shy movie about scrotums in existence, uh, which, which pulls it into that sphere. And also the, the tragedy that happens to land here, right? Right. The way the earth is just chewed and strip mined away. In the same sense that Fern Gully, you know, plays in the horror or plays with the genre of horror in like a Derridian sense. Pompoco does too.
2: I think that's right. And, you know, there's a really interesting article that I came across while just reading up after the fact on this film, after having watched it twice. Um, And there's this uh, sort of discussion of their quote, plasmatic bodies, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in, I guess in film theory of, uh particularly theories of animation, um, this idea of, you know, these carnival-esque and often even grotesque um metamorphoses and changes that uh their bodies can undertake. Um and then that, you know, being mixed in with the reality in Japan in terms of their uh historic folklore um the representations of these Japanese uh, tanukis, you know, these raccoon dogs and their gigantic testicles. That's something that they didn't make up for this film. You know, they're basically (laughs) – they're just – they you know, they did a lot of actually really fun satirical repurposing of Japanese culture in this film when you kind Mm -hmm. of read into it a bit further, which, uh, you know, at first watch um, is probably – Uh, Not really legible or immediately grasped by a Western audience, but like the children's songs that they repurpose, um, which several of them involve singing about their testicles. Um, like they, they quite literally commit an act of eco-terrorism and then go sing a song about their testicles swaying in the wind. Mm-hmm. Um and like the the little children raccoons doing it uh in <laughs> in response. Uh it, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Um, but it, it, it actually makes complete sense within Japanese culture and in, in some readings of the film it's also um you know, sort of their assimilation, which happens later on in the film into human culture, but then this uh, sort of return at the end, which you referenced where, you know, he's on the golf course and sees these non-transformed tanukis um, sort of adapting in their resilience after they failed to sort of resist the changes. Um, It it can kind of tell tell a, a story of, Um, In some critics' minds, like Japanese culture um, being in some ways artificially and surface level subsumed by Western culture and globalization. But in reality, that's just uh, at the surface level. And there's still very much like a deep, rich um, sort of national folk history that despite the fact of people putting on their sort of Western business suits and going to work at the globalized companies, there's something else going on underneath which I found to be an interesting thing that, you know, it didn't hit me the first time I saw it so, so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, let's just, let's just kind of, um, you know, be as direct as possible. This is, this is, this is a a kind of, in places, heartbreakingly beautiful film. Um, Mm -hmm. like the, the animation art is just gorgeous. I think the ending is, um, is sad and uh, it's sorrowful in a way that I would struggle to think a lot of other children's films would have the courage to be, um, mm. and and uh, and I think melancholic. And I, I I use that in the kind of the same sense as someone like Walter Benjamin would use it. It's a, it is a melancholic ending, um, mm. and uh, it, and at the same time, <laughs> in the same discursive space, this is also a film about. Um, Questions of revolutionary violence because it isn't just a single act of eco-terrorism. It, it's about kind mm-hmm. of a, it's about kind of guerrilla warfare, and the kind of big col- political question of, in the conditions of capitalist modernity, how does one make revolution? How does one kind of construct revolutionary politics? Um, and I, I I don't feel like it's kind of reaching too much to call it that because there's no subtext here. Like uh, the the film, like like any good children's film, is very direct about its narrative, and so like uh, it's it is presented, and we're presented with a kind of range of responses. You know, do you have the kind of reformist or assimilationist response? Do you have a a sort of like pro- almost protest art and political activism, or do you engage in in kind of revolutionary kind of violent struggle? Uh, this is I- this is a great movie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I mean, like, I think that the, well, let's just jump and in, jump into the discourse. Uh, and I think that's a great jumping off point, because so so the basic the basic plot is that human developments are encroaching into the forest that the Tanuki live in. And as, as uh, Stephen said earlier, the Tanuki are, it's a real animal, it's, it's just a bigger raccoon, kind of. Um, but this is like the mythical version of the real one, right? Um, And and their their homeland is being eaten away and they used to live in like total peace and harmony next to farms with people or not like with people as part of human society but coexisting in the same ecosystem. But now the the expansion of suburban Tokyo is about to destroy their home in Tama. Um, As this starts to happen and as this continues to happen, uh, the, the Tanuki try to navigate their way through that right try to find a way to salvage their land and then ultimately salvage their culture and one of the things that I find really interesting is that John like you you were Kind of clearly divided. uh, So our tanuki are uh, divided into like several camps in their response, right? There's the there's the assimilationist tanuki that can so there's two kinds of I guess to backtrack for a second there's two kinds of tanuki one that can transform into any object or, or person or anything and then the tanuki that are still mythical raccoon dogs but they don't have that power uh so there's this like like ins- insurrectionary sect of like leninist tanuki <laughs> who are trying to like they they fail to stage a coup um at, at, in the greater tanuki party and then there's like tanuki who are trying to do traditional performance art protests to scare people back into submission. There are tanuki that just kind of check out entirely and they form a hippie death cult. Mm. And and I think the thing, the, the takeaway here is that like none of them wind up succeeding. They all wind up losing. You know, they the the final end of the movie, the the tanukis have not saved their culture nor have they saved their forest. They're are, they're all living on the edge and that to me was was really interesting that this movie's kind of a meditation on all these different techniques and how each one of them failed to respond.
2: Mm. Mm. Right. I mean, I think there was at least though in my mind a glimmer of hope in the end because as a part of the assimilationist tactic they had all basically become fully alienated human beings. Um like you you know in that period of the movie where they're, you know, sort of settled into that they're alienated from their broader community. There's a smaller number of them that are even able to do that. And they have a beautiful meditation on it where one of them Mm. says, you know, I don't even know how the humans do this. You know, this is extra hard for us because we're always expending energy to uh, fit in. um, Whereas, you know, humans are already supposed to naturally be fitting into this. And even then it's difficult. Uh, And and in the end, they at least are able to sort of return to some sense of community um, and communal struggle, which is a theme that um, is definitely throughout the film of, you know, what um, sort of forces um, and events will bring them together as opposed to break them apart into these factions that whenever they eventually are sort of broken into these factions, their sort of their demise is even – um, more guaranteed or accelerated, um, they they you know they they lose the strength that they had in solidarity.
1: Mm-hmm. But but the 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 thing is, this isn't final because I think there's there's a really interesting moment towards the end of the film where uh, one of the Tanuki returns after a long time traveling, looking for sort of lost masters of transformation, uh, and they come back and they see how much has been lost. Um, and they say I didn't, you know, humans can't do this. How how did humans manage to transform everything? Only we can do that. Mm-hmm. So so really, there's this kind of di- there's this kind of dialectical relationship that's 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 interposed, right? So they go, oh, these humans were really Tanuki all along. They were just bigger than us, and they you know they're these old smelly uh, Tanuki who have changed the world. But really, the inverse is true. Which is that form d- dictates function, right, so they take on the functions of the human, and as you said, right, right at the end they've become part of the not not simply a kind of isolationist um kind of protectionist revolution, but they've become embedded in a in class society itself,
2: and yeah and, yeah, and and they are juxtaposed with the at least in. Japanese culture, the uh, fox creatures, which are, mm. um, you know, almost doing that uh, willingly with the idea that they can pull a fast one on the humans. Yeah, whereas if you the, can't,
1: if you can't beat them, join them.
2: Yeah, and whereas the tanuki sort of represent this sociable, um, sort of optimistic, good-hearted. You know, they're almost too silly and enjoy partying um, too much to even be malicious. <laughs> Um, that's -hmm. something that they continue to do throughout the film is, you know, in their ability to transform. I love how the artists, um, will depict them in three different styles, depending on the context. There's the, um, very accurate depiction of what they actually look like. There's the anthropomorphized version. And then there's this sort of fuzzy, warm, uh, anime or rather manga style, uh, which they're actually referencing a specific artist. When they do that, um, to sort of show them in these moments of whimsy, um, and their sort of good-hearted uh, embeddedness in their in their place um, is so much a part of who they are. But um, I think you know, getting to your, where we started, back to where we started, John, like the um, the the split between them in terms of their tactics is where a, a ton of the action in the film happens, and there's so much. Probably to be learned from that um, because like the the for a bit, it seems like the eco-terrorism is working, Uh, but then they run up against the reality that there are just too many humans participating in this system that they could just replace the workers every time they scare them away. Gosh.
0: Yeah okay. and that that part I think is really interesting too. So like yeah the, the first techniques that the tanuki try to scare the humans away is they they start destroying uh, the, the literal machinery of this expansionist capitalistic force coming out of Tokyo. They destroy the bulldozers and the building equipment. Um, oh yeah and and they murder three three
1: people yeah three people die yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and and they 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 have a ceremony to like honor them but then like one of them starts laughing during the ceremony (laughs) (laughs) and then they just start partying because they're like fuck yeah we won (laughs) um it's very they the they have the (laughs) the song they sing right here after they do that they kill those three people after they roll this vehicle off a cliff um and they say you know Tanuki's testicles, even on a windless day, back and forth they sway, sway, sway. The tanuki <laughs> cubs looked on. Altogether, now they sway, sway, sway. Like there's a great job of showing that they they kind of recognize what they're doing and and the consequences of what they're doing, but at the same time they find like a joy in their cause. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And and what I find really interesting about about that though is the kind of foreshadowing that sets up for later. Right, because they're mm. they're they're kind of disregard for the the workers at these facilities who they themselves are are caught up in the machinery. They're getting ground up in the gears too, just from different sides. Mm. And at the end of the film, the tanuki are forced to become them. You know, like some of them become construction workers, right? Some of them enter into the exact part of the system that tried to crush them. Right. And there's this kind of you know, like every time they celebrate, like there's this there's this haunting naivete to it right because you know as an audience member you can be like okay like and especially if you've seen like um other movies that this artist has worked on and been a part of like you know that there's always like some some crushing defeat that's looming with just a glimmer of hope in it
1: yeah i mean i think this is this is um this is actually something that's really useful to bring out which is the tendency to think um and it's it's a very it's a very bad habit to fall into to thinking that um, uh, revolutions or kind of political struggles are either won or lost, um, which is which is not. so... oh god, I'm going to turn into like a very tedious Marxist for a second. Which is which is profoundly undialectical, right? Losses and victories are not like so clearly cut and binary states. And in fact, um, revolutions are not simply just won; they're they're unfinished you know they uh, even even in the kind of defeat which seems most kind of stark there is actually the latent possibility of of a, a bigger class based revolution that emerges as they get incorporated into a ever more totalizing system
0: mm. yeah yeah and i think you know for me like the most hopeful moment of this movie is what you were talking about earlier stephen when they're all kind of celebrating on the golf course you know, they're, they're just enjoying being Tanuki again. And there was something like Zizekian about them embracing their position amongst the literal trash of society. And they were like, here, here they are like redefining in a, in a very like situationist moment. They're redefining the psychogeography of their relationship to the city. They're doing this little act of derivé by like turning what is just a luxury playground for people with a lot of disposable income into a communal park. Mm. Mm. and and for me like there's a lot of hope in that because it's like the 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 thing that at least at least by one estimation the thing that kind of continues to be the stumbling block for the tanuki is the fact that they they keep subdividing amongst themselves right they they keep uh losing the embrace of community that they that they had sought to defend all those years and here they are in the end despite all these tremendous losses rediscovering
2: that right well and i think um both the humans and the tanuki in this film face Similar ecological struggles and constraints that are some sometimes unsaid, but other times made very explicit. Um, for example, there's the whole bit about, you know, they, they agree to basically reduce their population growth because of their sort of Malthusian dilemma because of their loss of, um, you know, ecological space that is necessary for their traditional way of life, um, Humans, obviously, you know, I'm not necessarily a Malthusian uh, thinker, but humans obviously have ecological questions and dilemmas that they will have to face. uh, We will have to face as we develop and grow and, you know, population growth is a reality and you have to square it with the ability to produce enough resources. Um, And I think the film tries to gently depict that like both of these species are following a fundamental drive of just biological life just to Mm -hmm. have children and to expand your population um and and to continue to just like do what comes natural to you and a part of the reality in this film for them was like oh well humans are expanding and they're building places to live for themselves and as you mentioned most of them are just workers caught up in it but something that does end up happening in the film it's a consolation not a solution is there's the response on the hu- behalf of the humans to the tanuki publicity campaign and you know performance art stuff where they <laughs> created parks and other things to specifically help protect parts of the tanuki population and you know created like signs to say hey don't run them over and slow down but They explicitly say, well, it's not enough. It was too late. They were already displaced. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are these like deeper, more fundamental questions of um, ecological sustainability um, and sort of responsibility for the natural um, consequences of, you know, a species growing and sustaining itself and sort of grappling with the realities of these competing um drives and needs um the tanuki is you know being able to literally transform and do all these magical things but at the end of the day they still end up wanting to have kids and party
1: i mean again the tanuki the tanuki are uh human that's yeah, that's yeah. that's the ultimate tragedy right and they 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 enact this 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 as you say a kind of almost Malthusian idea of like not having children but they do it for reasons of kind of like a revolutionary commitment to it to a very traditionally mm-hmm. leninist leninist five year mm-hmm. they have a five year plan yeah. i know it's, they, it's amazing uh, they're like we got to
2: study these people we got to get our so intel ridiculous. they they send out their spies it's it's so it's
1: so good
2: and it's it's
1: framed as like if we don't win this fight there isn't going to be a future anyway um so but you're you're completely right right so it's it's bringing home the possible and it emphasizes a couple of things which i think are really really important which is um the kind of productive capacity of humans generally like this is again a very kind of traditional marxist point which is like what makes humans distinct from other animals is, is our transformational capacity on the world and this just kind of mm-hmm. internalizes it to the Tanuki themselves. But really, it's it it th- they are us. You know, d- do we yeah. want to be alienated laborers? No, of course we don't. Mm. You know, I, it wasn't it it's Marx's son-in-law who wrote wrote the the amazing essay in praise of idleness. Uh mm-hmm. and one of my one of my favorite Terry Eagleton quotes, which anytime I share it on Twitter gets me gets me shit. It's like where he says like a really good reason for being a socialist is that you think work is bad and it's like it's like yeah yeah nobody wants to live like this what what do we want to do we want to hang out with our friends party and have enough to take care of ourselves and our and the ones that we love the tanuki are basically a utopian idea of what we what we could all aspire to And 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 that
0: I I really love, right? Right. There's something utopianist and hopeful in the Tanuki, right? Like, they're literally like the thing—the thing that they do, the thing that's in their heart—is just to chill, have a good time, make art, and like party. That's it. And like, there's something about that that's like, it could be that way. There's a lot on like the edges of this movie where like I I kept thinking of the phrase, you know, like you could be living like this, right? And and like that. That Malthusian idea is, is also very interesting because, you know, obvi- obviously, I mean, it should go without saying the movie's about, you know, raccoon dogs losing their natural forests, but like this is a very animal liberation kind of movie. And when they're, when they're talking about like, oh, we have to reduce our numbers because we're, we don't have enough forest to sustain us anymore. The first place my mind went to is you, you see that language pop up a lot here in the States, but about like deer populations or coyotes like we have to do we have to do a deer culling because the you know we we've set aside x amount of acres and that acreage can't sustain the deer population so we have to kill off 200 deer this season or whatever the number is and and that's uh, that logic is technically true like technically the amount of forest we we've set aside cannot sustain the deer population however it's it's a greater it's part of a greater propaganda right the fact that we're setting aside forest to sustain an artificially controlled deer population is a bit weird and this movie this movie like oh i am like so i'm still so taken aback by how complicated this film was this might be one of those complicated movies we've covered it like goes there
2: it's it's that's insane because the last movie we talked about is was insane um yeah holy motors is also a stupidly complicated film but i think yeah there's Another element of hopefulness to the tanukis and Raccoons in general, regardless of which uh, continental variety they are, because um, they truly are this, like, master adaptation expert species that can live wherever, eat anything. They are succeeding in spite of humanity. Um, their lives and lifestyles are clearly different and they're not inhabiting the same sort of habitat that they did previously. Um, and yet they still thrive and survive. And I've seen some of the fattest, biggest looking raccoons in my life in, you know, urban and and, se- and semi-urban environments. Um, and it's not to say that it's ideal for them, but the ability for them to sort of, uh, exist in spite of as an act of resilience and resistance in itself is cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so sad and tragic that in American and I'm guessing it's probably also the case in British culture, just the Anglosphere in general, there's this like lack of um, in, in Western sort of white culture in particular, the lack of raccoons or possums as having a role in myth culture or folk culture. Whereas in like in Mexico, for example, the possum is a trickster and the Tanukis are tricksters, um, mythologically speaking. Um, And I think that that is something that uh, is also inspiring because, you know, sort of whenever you are going up against overwhelming odds, um, there's so many great myths of the trickster overcoming through sort of wit rather than strength.
1: Yeah, so I th- I think I think then we should probably talk about this. Let's talk about let's talk about the tricks that they pull. Um, and I think maybe the biggest one is haunting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because because of their ability to transform themselves into into literally anything. Um, there's one where they basically terrify a cop to death by <laughs> pretending to be people with no face. Which that was is, awesome. Which is so cool which is so cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they they use this uh in, in an astounding variety of ways. Um mm-hmm. everything from yeah becoming these sort of traditionally awful horror figures, you know, think like The Ring or something like that to um pretending to be normal humans that are eco-terrorists with chainsaws uh and intimidating cops by chopping off uh, a cop-shaped mannequin's head. Um, they do that. They, they turn into really spooky skeletons and other things, and pretty much everything in between. Um, they, they do this in a variety of instances to greater and lesser success. And unfortunately, it actually leads to um, the death of quite a large number of them. Like most of the yeah. the what you could describe as the Leninist cadre loses their life all at once in an attempt to derail um an 18-wheeler. Yeah, the uh, yeah. The, the Tanuki yeah, yeah.
0: vanguard uh breaks off from the rest of Tanuki society and then just gets completely annihilated.
2: Yeah, and then it's it's done in this like beautiful juxtaposition to the cult, the one that just basically checks out and follows the senile one. Who they all just dance, Um, Mm -hmm. and it and it is uh, comprised of all of the Tanukis who are not able to transform. That's something that we haven't maybe explicitly noted, but in the film there are uh, those who can and cannot transform, and it's not exactly clear why that's the case. Um, And the ones that don't transform, most of them, a lot of them, follow this one uh, of the elders who, uh, as the the cadre of the vanguard, they. are all killed in this accident the cultists uh go on this basically this like spiritual boat that takes them all to death and this happens simultaneously in the film in a very beautiful um Mm -hmm. and traditionally inspired way
0: yeah yeah for me that juxtaposition is really interesting because on the surface it doesn't appear that uh, this is the weird the the rec, the Lenin raccoon vanguard and the uh, Lenin hippie death cult have any or the the Tanuki Dippy, hippie death cult have anything in common, but I think one striking thing that does tie them together is is they both checked out of they both dropped out of Tanuki society in in various ways or another they both stopped engaging with the masses and became their own splinter group, mm. and yes. and so we we have at the end they they both kind of congeal together into, into their fantastic ways of breaking off from society and dissolving. And like the, um, so the, the, the Tanuki who can't transform, they're taken on a, a treasure ship by, by the elder of the village who can transform, right? He, he transforms his balls into a giant treasure ship that sails them all off to their deaths. And he's, he's kind of narrating this, like poetically what's happening while we're watching the Leninist Tanookis go through a very similar fate. And it's it's such an interesting juxtaposition.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, I don't think it's designed to sort of, um, valorize what the third group ends up doing, which is assimilating because even they describe, well, shit, we had to leave the fourth group behind, which Mm -hmm. was everyone else, basically. Um, you know, the, the remainder of the Tanookis that didn't join the cult, nor were the extremists and couldn't assimilate. And they have a lot of regret about that. And, And there's like a very forlorn atmosphere for, you know, that most of that last third or fourth of the film, whenever they fully commit to joining human society, because they don't think they have an alternative. Um, and they and they failed in that alternative which was basically what had happened where the elders uh were from like the Shinkoku island where basically they had in their words scared the humans into a state of reverence and um also it was more so probably this that they were not near the center of capital development in the country mm-hmm. You know, like they were on one of the far-flung islands where the the state can afford to basically protect these traditional shrines uh, for a, a number of reasons right they They are not compelled to create um, housing for the masses near the center of capital production, which is Tokyo. Um, so you know they they didn't have that ability to replicate what had happened in other parts. Of, uh, of the island. And then each of those elders basically ended up taking part in one of the splinter groups, except for the first one who he died, um, mm-hmm. in his effort to create that mass haunting and scare the town into submission into submission, which ended up getting, um, foiled because of the power of mass media
0: Yes, yes, we absolutely, I think this is a great, we need to talk about manufacturing consent and how Tanuki Extinction Rebellion
2: winds up getting a job for Disney. Jesus Christ, and then that foreshadows what actually happens to Studio Ghibli and Disney. Oh, completely. Dun, 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 dun.
1: Uh quick, somebody somebody email Noam Chomsky to ask his opinion on uh the manufacturing consent <laughs> in Pompo. Please
2: do not email that man. Give him a fucking break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is my, Thanksgiving.
1: My, <laughs> my one my one Chomsky take is that everyone should just leave that old man alone. <laughs> just That's just right. let him I
0: mean Could you imagine if somebody emailed you literally every moment of the morning, noon, and night asking you, like, hey, what's your opinion on the latest Jell-O commercials?
1: Like, it would just dissolve your
0: mind. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, But no, this is exactly what happens, right? There is is, um, a a concerted effort to uh, dispel the reality of a given political situation um, and because um, the Tanuki have to act anonymously, the movement is very co-optable by, by a media apparatus that wants to kind of nullify the political valence of what they're doing. Um, except for Except for the one independent journalist who really wants to get an interview with the raccoons um who we should all follow on twitter and subscribe to their patreon vibe <laughs> hell yeah
2: yeah that that i think it was really fascinating that that effort to go public came too late perhaps because they had um miscalculated what the hu- human response would be to revealing themselves they had this idea that if they revealed themselves they would be eradicated
1: yeah absolutely mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> which you know, it didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, I mean, fuck. If raccoons started talking to me first, I'd make sure that I didn't accidentally mix up some stuff. And then secondly, <laughs> um, if it kept happening, I'd be like on board with it. I would. I mean, most of my Instagram discovery pages, raccoons anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I I think it was, you know, unfortunate sort of mis- um, judgment on their their end in the film in terms of you know what that would be because it did come too late because it it did seem, in a way, if you kind of really think about what ended up having a, a longstanding impact in their favor, it was them trying to bridge a gap and have a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. what, one thing that I think is worth pointing out is that we're recording this episode on Thanksgiving and this is a movie that's in in no small part about colonialism. Yep. And, and I think, especially like watching that as someone living on stolen Native American man, land here in the United States, it's like, the, the weight of what's going on in this film, the fact that colonialism happens in layers and capitalist extraction happens in layers and, and the media like, so, so the Tanuki do like, like this huge goblin parade through the streets, right? At, at, the, at the advisement of the Tanuki from a more rural community and it's supposed to it's it's like a bunch of traditional like japanese spirits and ghosts and goblins and like it's supposed to spook people but all these all these big city kids are like wow mommy look at that and like it scares a, it scares a couple old people but the majority of people are like whoa isn't that crazy and then it just gets instantly sucked into the media
2: machine and then the owner of a in uh, progress amusement park lays claim to it as a publicity stunt. Um, And everybody's like, oh, yeah, because to actually explain it would have been a little more difficult. And so they all just kind of move on. Um, And, you know, in terms of the colonialism aspect of it, there is one part which is a bit tragic in that when they have some initial early on success in running these humans off, they have a conversation about how maybe we should just leave a few of them so we can still eat their hamburgers (laughs) yeah yeah they they go
1: oh if there's no humans there won't be any like uh uh, there won't be any tempura there won't be any burgers yeah because they have a scene where they eat
2: burgers they have a scene where like (laughs) they're as a part of their five-year plan of learning and studying human culture they get a television and they all get addicted to watching tv and then they have to like make a rule about not watching tv and then someone breaks it and then they also eat a bunch of hamburgers and get addicted to hamburgers. Um, it was incredible stuff. Like it really is how that plays out. Um, (laughs) like I'm amazed that they just didn't also get addicted to like sake or something, but I guess that's because in traditional Japanese culture, there are these statues of the raccoon tanuki's with their big balls holding barrels of sake. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess that would have just been in character for them.
1: Uh, I, 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 and it's 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 sort of like th- th- there's there's a kind of bigger question here which is like do we really do you do you really want do you really want um revolution do you really want a kind of genuine systemic change um there's this there's this amazing uh conversation with the the, the theorist Michael Hart who did a lot of work with Ant- uh, Antonio Negri and Hart says um says this. I remember I remember a certain point in the writing process, maybe a paragraph where Tony and I wrote that revolution is really only for monsters. And what we meant was that it's not as if you should imagine revolution as creating that society where you're finally going to feel at home. Some people might wish for that, but that's not revolution. It has to be the transformation of society so that you, as you were, can no longer live, so that you have to become something different in order to live it. And you might think about that, and this would be putting the love and revolutionary processes together. So it's like, really, there is that tension, right? Do you do you want a genuinely different world where you actually have to be a kind of genuinely different kind of subject? Because when they're faced with that question, a lot of them go, yeah, but... Uh, what about what about the McDonald's burgers though? Because those are really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they they weren't really uh, prepared to grapple with that. Whenever the question came to them, which you know, I guess you don't really control when that happens.
0: Yeah, this movie is definitely speaking to po- political movement through a very specific historical context, right? And I think one one thing that's really interesting in, in in terms of how this flows through through the course of this movie right how they go from this kind of like idyllic you know just just raccoons in an old abandoned barn chilling um situation to this to this fractured society that 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 crumbles is it's driven a lot on the the tanuki being willing to abandon each other. Like we get this, we get this sequence where so um the, the the group of Tanuki from Tama send two of their best transforming Tanuki students um to go search for masters. We talked about the one earlier who never found his master, um, because it turned out he had died many decades before he was even sent on the mission, and the other one who did, and he became like uh like married to the master's daughter with kids and he was going to be the apprentice and take over that school of transformation teaching and in the end he's like begging the master to let him go back home with him and and he's like well you know you wouldn't be too much of a transformation master if you abandoned your community now would you and and so he's he's, he's kind of forced to to reckon with in like a really painful moment too because here's like a, a young tanuki guy who just lost his family and his aspirations for the future to be like lashed to a sinking ship. It's, it's really tragic.
2: Hmm. Right. And, and that is put into really um, stark relief whenever they have that interaction with the foxes. Um, and, and it's the same master of the Tanuki we were just describing. He ends up being the one who he tries to find that sort of middle path, which he find he considers to be assimilation and the foxes explicitly say, well, yeah, you have to leave the ones that can't transform behind. That's just the way that it is. The strongest will survive. And it reveals this sort of, um, you know, social Darwinist thinking mm-hmm. that is implicit in the way that a lot of uh, contemporary capitalism operates. Um, it has for a long time. And they they say that just outright. And um, – despite the fact that he goes with it and he decides that that's the, you know, in his mind, the best bet for his people, you can see the sort of guilt and the shame and the disappointment in himself um, when he delivers that. And people were like pissed off about it. There was the, the moment where they come together and um, they're struggling to feed themselves because they had too many kids. And one of those, The sort of the young, most resourceful, cleverest one suggests they share food equally among those who can transform and those who cannot. Mm -hmm. And people agree to it. And then that's when the coup happens, I'm pretty sure. Um, Or at least they try to have the coup. And then that's when the one who went to find his master shows up. Um, And so they kind of like save the day at the last moment. But they're constantly fighting this pull towards social Darwinism that the expanding – capitalist system is foisting upon them. Yeah, the, yeah, the because it's about oh, the on.
1: it's about the imposition of scarcity, right? And I think mm-hmm. this is actually a super important point, which is that you know, we're kind of told that capitalism is the system by which there is a kind of surplus, you know, look at all this stuff it's made. But it's actually um, you know, in, in some of his last work, Mark Fisher talked about that capitalism is is the kind of block on a genuine um, kind of, the, the bounty of the world is blocked and managed by systems of capitalism. You know, that expansionary and extractionist capitalism is extremely profitable. There is huge surplus. It's just not a surplus for you.
2: Right. I mean, you know, one surplus over here has to be like a deficit over there. That's just yeah. how balance of payments functions. And I mean, there's there's just no such idea as uh, surplus beyond the idea of, well, you know, there's more than what we're giving out or distributing or there is something to be sort of lopped off the top and held elsewhere from the productive process. And yeah, like the, the imposition of scarcity is absolutely a part of that. So should we talk about the foxes then? Mm. Yeah. I mean, culturally, in um, Japanese folklore, foxes, they also have like another name. It's a kitsune or something. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm not uh, much of a weeb. And um, they are seen as a bit more malicious and uh, a bit more sort of conniving and dishonest the the trickster mentality is different than like the sinister um sort of thief or um con man you could say there's like a difference and whereas the Tanukis are the tricksters the foxes in this film are very much sort of the con men and they run these sort of schemes that um clearly have put them in this sort of upper middle class part of uh human society When we find them in the film and they actually play a central role in the assimilation of the Tanuki by basically being a broker between um, the humans that own the amusement park that uh, laid claim to the Tanuki's, you know, haunting tricks and then uh, the Tanuki's themselves who the foxes basically say, hey, you know, we'll help you keep your identity hidden from the humans, uh, but we'll get you gainfully employed by the humans so that you can survive. Uh, And then they sort of insert themselves as these middlemen. They're kind of like bourgeois mercantilists (laughs) uh, in this tale um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like their perspective of kind of extracting surplus value from the Tanukis in this transaction and then they have that really fun um really well animated psychedelic funhouse uh segment where they introduce the humans to the tanukis. but then the tanukis uh fuck over the foxes and and steal their money um in the hell end. yeah so that was that best, was best scene in the movie <laughs> that was a great scene in the film i mean you know they they didn't make friends there and then they still ended up having to assimilate um, but they at least kind of tried to do it in their own way. Whereas the foxes had apparently, you know, a long time had been a part of human society and were, you know, viewed by humans as a bit more um, malicious and dangerous. And there's like that one scene where the Tanuki's pretend to be a fox in order to scare the humans away from mm-hmm. a shrine.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the kind of political tensions going on in, inside of this film are like. There's some, this is so bizarre but there's something deeply real about the movie where tanuki use their magic testicles uh to transform into boats and dragons and other things. Parachutes. Oh yeah, we can't we can't forget the parachutes or the rugs or um or we, the, and we also like oh my you know we're we're running up on an hour here we you know we're running out of time but like we haven't even talked about like the, there's so much gender discourse going on here. Mm, mm like the the male tanuki uh can transform into to human women uh female tanuki can transform into human males uh the, the, there's a lot of like and not, not to mention the weird gender uh kind of commentary going on when the the testicle can be turned into anything from a weapon to to a toy mm. um oh my god this this i'm going to be thinking about this movie for the next decade
2: (laughs) there's also the scene where the foxes welcome the tanuki master to their uh high rise in the city and um you know the head fox reveals all of the women there are actually foxes and it's Mm -hmm. basically like a a, it's kind of implied that he's running a brothel um yeah and he's like, oh, yeah, you want any of these? And and the Tanuki is a little disturbed because they still look like humans. And the fox is like, oh, well, one of them can turn into a Tanuki if you want. <laughs> and then he does yeah. not like that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> he's like still disturbed by that idea for some reason. Well, I don't.
0: I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know this for sure. But do foxes eat raccoon dogs? Like, are they predators of them? Ooh. Because I picked up like Ooh, that's because very in, in that question. sequence, like, there's this implied threat. Like, he's surrounded by foxes, and and sure, they look like you know attractive women, but they're they're transforming. They're doing a trick. They're still predatory animals, you know. So I was like, okay, is he like is is this like a bit more coercion? Because he does end up betraying the uh, kitsune fox dude in the end when he steals all of Walt Disney's money.
2: You know, I don't know. I'm not sure if they are, uh, hunted by foxes because they're kind of related to foxes and are not of dissimilar size. Um, but that, 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 that w- there was definitely sort of like this interspecies tension and, um, a lack of trust between them. Um, because, uh, yeah, there's one other species I'm forgetting which one it is in Japanese culture that can also transform. Um, they they go into this in the movie, but oh, it's cats. Cats, but they're the worst at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, according yeah, according yeah. to the movie, cats are bad at turning into people and or drum sets. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! There's there's so much to take away from this film. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of really good stuff. Uh, I love the moment where the young idealist uh tanuki uh, i think it's sokoichi or something he's the some of the mm-hmm. cleverest of them all he's giving this very impassionate like impassioned leftist sort of speech of like we're going to commit ourselves to this and we're going to make it through the year we're not going to have kids and we're going to hang on we're going to fight back against the humans and then literally at the end of the speech they like get down to it and and <laughs> yeah. and then they have their own kid they have four of their own kids Um, Mm -hmm. they're, they're such like deeply, uh, human characters. There's, there's no real clear cut protagonists or antagonists, but, um, you know, the, the antagonist of the film in this is like, you know, just unchecked development, basically, uh, unchecked, you know, sort of invasive species spread that, uh, puts ecological, uh, sustainability, you know, um, at risk.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the most complicated takeaways for this movie for me is that there's no, there are no clear-cut protagonists amongst the Tanuki. There are several competing ideologies and a bunch of persons, and there's something deeply real about that, right? Because just like what you said, the the antagonist is the system, right? It's this systemic force that they're up against. Everyone else is a protagonist, whether you disagree or agree with the particular strategies they're using to try and save themselves from what's going on
1: yeah and it makes it makes the kind of invaluable point that any sort of any sort of struggle that adopts a singular set of tactics is bound to find itself nullified really quickly and really easily Mm. and you know, and to, to kind of link this back to the to the eco terrorism angle, this is precisely Andreas Malm's point in how to blow up a pipeline. Right, the the point is not that we should uh, at all valorize or kind of make make a fetish out of direct action, mm-hmm. but simply excluding a multiplicity of tactics to to face any particular political problem or political struggle simply because those who are not involved in the struggle will disapprove of it is uh, is a way of kind of nullifying the struggle before it really gets off the ground right so uh, and and this is something that this film is really really good at exploring yeah
2: and i think it also you know touches on the deep deep importance of understanding what you're really up against you know the tanukis had perhaps a flawed understanding of um both what their human sort of opponents were willing and were not willing to do or accept and um the sort of the scope and scale of the thing that they were up against. Like, you know, derailing scaring off a few workers and 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 basically, you know, uh sabotaging a, a handful of trucks and other things like that. It stops progress for a bit. But um once they were sort of down that path, they perhaps did not have a full understanding of how much it would actually take to stop a massive development project that was willing to carve out both sides of a mountain Um, you know it, yeah precisely you precisely. can't take that Definitely. lightly you cannot take that lightly
0: so do we have any do we have any final thoughts before we set up Andreas well, Malm's PompoCo 2 Fast and the Furious
2: oh 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 uh uh, uh, raccoon pouch boogaloo. Um, we have to comment on how, if you're going to watch this film, it is um highly recommended that you watch this with uh subtitles in English and the Japanese um because yeah. the dub bolder uh bolderizes this film um in a number of ways that uh does not do justice to it and makes the context of the film even less comprehensible for a Western audience because it was uh, distributed in the West by Disney. Um, Yes. So definitely, you know, you can watch it like HBO Max. You can watch it there. Just make sure that you switch it into Japanese with English subtitles.
0: And and just to to be clear, one of the big things that gets changed in the English dub is that they're not testicles or balls anymore. Now they're raccoon pouches. Yeah.
2: Which is just confusing. They're not marsupials.
0: It's bullshit. That's bullshit. Raccoons have no pouch to speak of. Like in, you know, like the English subtitles, they were like raccoon balls, which which works really well with kind of the playful, childish nature of the raccoon. So, yeah, 100 percent.
2: Yeah, definitely do that. And um, I would say, you know, maybe look up a little bit of the mythology ahead of time if you want to be able to kind of get some of the context. Of why they are. They do a pretty good job of um, you know, putting that into the film without it making too much uh so much exposition, but that's something that I would recommend because it is certainly not something that is immediately comprehensible to a Western audience.
1: And what about you, Ash? Any any final thoughts?
0: Just explore the text of this film. It, it just just go in like this was made for children. And and just like just like another kids movie, I always talk about Ferngully. Like go go into it with like the open heart of a child, you know. Like like you you need to approach this movie with a kind of earnesty that its targeted audience would have, in order to not have like a jaded reaction to what's going on here, because there's so much tragedy and hopefulness and just just desire to explore and to keep trying in this film that like. You know, even in the end, even when we're all eating out of the trash, living, you know, on a golf course, we still have each other. We still have something. There's still something to strive towards. There's this kind of defeatist mentality that's really in vogue right now because of the just absolute terror we're facing with pending and ongoing climate crises. And I think PompoCo is offering us a way to live through that. What
1: about you, John? Um, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think, uh, I think both of you are completely correct. It's probably worth knowing just a little bit, giving yourself a little bit of context, but also, um, I think it's, it is, it is a children's film, but it's also trying to do something deeply serious and and very, oh, yeah. very real. And, um, I think that's, I, as I said, I don't, I know of very, very few other animators or animation, uh, uh, production houses that would be this ambitious hmm. that would try and do something uh of this kind of like um uh scale and scope and also like emotional uh complexity um and and like you both i think i'm going to be thinking about this one for a long time
2: yeah uh, uh, this this is a film that i think it really um shows the potential for animation to be uh serious and to Express a wide breadth and deep depth of human emotion and experience um, while still being very fun and (laughs) lighthearted and carnivalesque and just a delight. Um, It's for me, five out of five. No notes would watch it again.
0: I I give this two out of two for Tanuki testicles.
2: Hey,
0: hey, hey. So, uh, great. Oh my God. I love, I love our conversation so much because of the weirdest movies with such good theory. Uh, and if our, if our audience wants more of that, where can they, where can they find you online one more time?
2: Uh, you can find me uh, at Steve Anzetti at, uh, Twitter, the twitter.com website. And, um, You can also uh, follow the literary magazine that I am a part of the publishing editorial board of Protean Mag, also on Twitter and at our website. Um, Neither of those things will uh, involve um, raccoon testicles quite as much as this. Uh, (laughs) But um, I do uh, occasionally shitpost on my main account. So, um, yeah, follow me there and um, check out Protean Mag if you like – leftist literature and theory and uh poetry and fiction and all of that good stuff
0: i think no matter what political angle we're coming from the one thing we can all agree on is that an ideal future has a non-zero amount of raccoon testicles <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right
1: that's right <laughs> uh a utopia we can all believe in um thank you so much uh steve Uh, Please do check out Protean and and all of the incredible work that they put out. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the show. And uh, stay spooky, everybody.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.